Well, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, hold your hand up real high. The ushers have extra Bibles. We'd be glad to let you use one of these. And go with me, please, to the Psalms, Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, we've been on a series for some weeks now called The Goodness of God. Father, we release our faith together, asking for utterance. Uh, Speak to us as only you can. Enlighten us. Lord, give us the supply of the Spirit for the season, for the time now. Show us what we've not seen, what we've not understood. Uh, Reveal to us. Give us discernment and understanding in, we pray and ask. And Lord, anything that we've thought wrong about, Anything that we've been confused or deceived about, uh, let the light of your word show that up, that we would push that aside and get rid of it and let the darkness be replaced with light, truth that makes free. And we purpose not to be forgetful hearers, but to be doers and to walk in the light, get glory to yourself in it, in our lives in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Psalm 34, Psalm 34 and 8, he said, Oh, taste and see. When somebody talks like that, they're talking about something good. Anybody ever said that? They come in smacking lips, go, Oh, you got to try that. You, you got, oh, you got to taste that. What do you know? What are they indicating to you? It's, it's some kind of good. It's not just ho-hum average. It's good. And that's what he's saying. Oh, you got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. The um, Today's English version says it like this. Find out for yourself how good the Lord is. You need to experience him for yourself. Don't try to live vicariously through other people's testimonies. Appreciate what God's done for them. Be thankful for that. But make up your mind, I got to taste for myself. I got to see this for myself. How good God is. Find out for yourself how good the Lord is. Psalm 11968. 11968 says, this is the NIV, says, You are good, and what you do is good. Now, I know that sounds simple, but a lot of folks are confused about this. God is good, and what he does is good. Period. God is good. And what he does. Is good. Except when he does bad. No. 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 The living Bible says it like this. And you'll find this language in other places in the Psalms. You are good and do only good. Only good. Reminiscent of something we saw earlier in in this series. First John says, God is light and in him is what? 
No darkness at all. If you look up uh, some of the other translations, even some of the accurate literal ones, it'll talk about not even one particle of darkness. We're talking about zero darkness. There is no bad in God. There is no dark. There is no evil. He doesn't have a cruel side or a mean side. He's good. He's all good. He's only good. Is that right? You are good and do only good. Now listen to the Message Bible. It says it like this. The Message says you are good and the source of good. Train me in your goodness. And it takes the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to know the difference between good and evil. A lot of people think just because they've been around for a while, oh yeah, I know. I, I know the difference between good and evil. You don't unless you know the Word. Unless you've got revelation of the Spirit of God from the Word. You don't. And you got all kind of church people calling bad things good and calling good things bad. We went into some detail of that last time. How Isaiah warned, woe unto him that calls good evil and calls evil good. Woe to you. And we decided we don't want the woe, we want the wow. And if you miss that message, you need to get to it. And uh, we got a lot of Christians, like we said, that they are uh, they're attributing some of the good, good things of God to the enemy. They say, uh, I mean, blasphemous things like speaking in tongues is of the devil. Or some of the gifts of the Spirit are healing and miracles. People are scared of them and think it might be some kind of evil. Uh, don't you dare call the healing power of God evil or of the devil. That's blasphemy. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then you got Christians that'll come and try to tell you, preachers that'll come and try to tell you that some storm ravaging through the, the country and killing people could be a blessing in disguise. Or some disease working in, a, in your body or family member's body could be God doing something in your life. Uh, I know it don't look good, but it could be a blessing in disguise. So God is disguising his good blessings as evil things. Or he's disguising evil things as, I mean, how in the world we know which ends up? What's right and what's wrong? What to yield to and receive and what to resist. You wouldn't know. And sadly, there's a lot of people don't know. They're yielding to stuff they ought to be resisting. They're resisting God when they ought to be yielding to him. Don't call evil good and good evil. How you know what's good and evil? What the Lord told you is good is good. What he told you is evil is evil. Let's put our nose in this wonderful book. Everybody at Faith Life Church reads their chapter every day, Monday through Friday. Am I right? Am I right? I'm right. Of course, you can do in addition to that all you want to, but do that at least. 
And uh, as you do it, you do it in faith. And the Lord, Hebrews talks about, uh, you can exercise your senses and develop to the point where you can discern the difference between good and evil. And, and, And two of the most important things you could ever learn in this life is what to yield to and what to resist. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Yield yourself to God and good things are going to happen in your life. Can you say amen? Amen. Now go with me please in the scriptures to uh, Luke 9. Let's do that. Luke chapter 9 and I'm going to read some scriptures to you from some other places but you can just hold your place there. Luke chapter 9. The scripture refers to God's spirit as the good spirit. Good spirit. You just stay there in Luke 9, but they'll put these up for us. You can mark them down if you're taking notes. Nehemiah 9 and 20 says, You gave your good spirit to instruct them. And withheld not your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Everybody say good spirit. spirit. Is the Holy Spirit the good spirit? Oh, he is. Psalm 143.10. Psalm 143.10 says, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me. Into the land of uprightness. Everybody say, your spirit spirit is good. good. Come on, let's say it a couple of times together. Your spirit is good. One more time. Your spirit is good. What kind of spirit is it? Good. Now, as you see Jesus ministering to people who were oppressed, and he would cast spirits out of them... What kind of spirits were they? Evil spirits. Now today we don't use the word evil as much in modern vernacular. We'd use the word bad. That's a big part of what that word evil means is bad. It's the opposite of good. Evil spirits. Bad spirits. As we've established already in scripture, good comes out of good. Bad comes out of bad. No bad could come out of God. Because he's all good. Not everybody's convinced of that. I am. How about you? I'm not debating it anymore. God is good. He's only good. He's the source of good. All he does is good. Everything he ever made was good. So, Mr. what about all there are some bad things in the world? Didn't God make everything? Actually, no. He didn't make everything. (laughs) I'm just going to pause here for a moment. (laughs) Let that sink in. Isn't God in control of everything? When you say it like that, no. God is not controlling everything. Wow. Yes, he is. So God was in control of whether you shampooed this morning or not. Whether you ate cornflakes or raisin bran, it was God's choice. 
No. No. He gave you and me and angels and demons. Come on, are you listening? A free will. And if he really gave us a free will, you can choose not to obey. You can choose to rebel. He even gave us, being created in his likeness and image, we have creative ability. We are created in the image of God, who is the creator. We have creative ability. And the Bible talks about inventors of evil. The devil took the creative ability God gave him. And the Bible said iniquity was found in him. And he fathered lying. God didn't create deception. So no, there's a lot of theology that people have backwards and, and, and all skewed. No, thank God. When God made everything, everything he made was good. If it was all up to God, it would all be good. And ultimately, he is in control. When you're talking about the big plan and how it's all going to turn out, in the end, it's going to be again all good. Is that right? We're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be no curse, no death, no dying, no pain, no crime, no lying. Hallelujah. It was God's original plan. And that's how it's going to be when it's all finished. Somebody say all good. All good. God's spirit is good. Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians 9. You just stay in there in Luke. Ephesians 5 9 says. For the fruit of the spirit. Is in all goodness. And righteousness and truth. Good spirit, good spirit, fruit of the spirit, goodness. In fact, what does gospel mean? Isaiah says the spirit of the Lord. Well, what what kind of spirit is, is the spirit of the Lord? The good spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach what? Good news, good tidings, it says in Isaiah, in, in uh, Luke and Matthew, Jesus talked about this. He quoted Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me to preach the good news. Well, the Amplified brings out what is good news, our gospel. Gospel is the good news about the good things. So the good spirit anoints To proclaim the good news about the good things of our good God. There's a lot of good in there. Somebody say good spirit. Good Good news news. about the good things. Good. Good. But now religion has got it wrong. And traditions of men have skewed it. And you'll see a good example of that in Luke 9. Even people close to Jesus got this wrong. 
The enemy's always around to help you get it wrong. He's ready to help you anytime, as long as it's helping you to get it wrong. In Luke 9 and 52, they sent messengers before Jesus' face, and they went and entered into a village of Samaritans to make ready for him. Verse 53, and the people of that place, they didn't receive him, Jesus, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And there was a lot of prejudice between Jewish people and uh, Samaritans. A lot of prejudice. And everything was fine as long as he was coming to them. But then they found out he was going to go over there to Jerusalem and minister to them. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Well, you ca- if you're going to be buddies with them, we can't be buddies with you. This kind of stuff has been around millennia. Phyllis and I made a commitment early in our ministry along this line. Um, The Lord, I mean, I'm talking about 25 plus years ago now, 30 years ago. The Lord was allowing us to minister outside our circles. You know what I mean by that? People you know, people that know you, your so-called, our circle, I guess you'd call it, Faith people, word people, word and faith people. Well, in this particular weekend, we just came back from a, this was nearly 30 years ago. We had just come back from a place up in the Northeast, a church where we were the first speaker outside their denomination in how long was it, Phil? 35 years or something? It was not a word church. It was not a so-called faith church. In fact, they were a committee church. Oh, brother. They had committees for their committees. And uh, they invited me, and I really don't know, just just the Lord, that they found out about me and wanted me to come. And then after they invited me, some people got concerned and thought, who is he? What's he going to say? So they wanted to know, what am I going to preach? And they got Phyllis, and and I was gone, and and she said... uh, uh, I doubt he knows what he's going to preach right now. He, he's got other meetings. He's got, well, that didn't console him too much. She had, to, she had to talk to him. But the Lord helped her and she helped them. And they wanted to meet and talk about what I was going to talk about before I talked about it. And then after the service, they wanted to meet again and talk about what I talked about. And uh, that's just not how we're used to doing stuff. But the Lord helped us. Very gracious. And we got there. And we, uh, I think you've heard me tell about this particular meeting before if you've been around, but man, it was quiet. Not an amen. I mean, you know, nothing. Uh, big old stone, stained glass facility. Beautiful. Been there for a long, long time. And uh, the Lord dealt with me to have a, a healing line. Of all things. And you you know me, you know me, right? I just waded right off into it. And uh, it was a quiet healing line. And I didn't hear much about it that night, but that was a Saturday night. And then Sunday morning I spoke. And after the service, me and the uh, minister uh, stood out on the big front steps and the people came out, you know, and... Uh, there must have been, I don't know, 10 people or so came by uh, of the group. And, and when I shook their hand, they leaned in, got real close, and they said, 
I was healed last night. <laughs> leaned in. One young man leaned in. He said, I was filled with the Spirit last night. <laughs> Glory to God. Healings and people filled with the Spirit. Glory to God. But when we got back, Phyllis and I stood up in our little kitchen at our house there in Tulsa area. And I told her, I said, you know, the Lord's allowing us to minister outside our, our circles. And you and I, I believe we're supposed to do it. You and I are going to make a commitment. We are not choosing sides. I believe the Lord prompted us to do it. We stood up there. Remember, Phyllis, we stood up there in our little kitchen. And we said, Lord, you love all your people. And if you love them. That's good enough for us. Is that right? If you accept them, then we accept them. And Lord, help us to see the way you see. And uh, we're not going to pick sides with one group against another group. Help us, Lord. By your grace, we we won't do it. We know you don't want us to. We're not supposed to. Because it would limit us. I I I was beginning to see that. You know, you, you can't minister to people you talk against. If you find fault with them and judge them and mock them and and criticize them, you're not going to minister to those folks. For one thing, they're going to hear about it. Oh, no, they're going to hear about it. I don't care how much you try to hide it. And then most people don't want to invite people like that to come minister to them that they know don't like them. And uh, I don't care what group you're talking about. Maybe you are stronger in this area than they are. But if they're really people of God, they probably got an area they're stronger in than you are. If you had eyes to see it. And oh, it is so enriching to be able to fellowship with different parts of the body outside your little fishbowl. It's enriching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've, I've been, I've been able to go to other groups, other countries, other cultures, and, uh, it, and, and you get there and everything's so different, but yet you close your eyes and it's the same Holy Spirit. Oh, glory to God. Same Holy Spirit. Same love. Oh, thank you, Lord. And, and, and it will enrich in your life. So you don't want to be like the Samaritans and Jewish folks and their prejudices and their differences, all you do is shorten yourself, make yourself less. That's all you do. I've had people, you know, want to find fault and and say, well, why'd you go over there and preach for them? My first thought is, what's it to you? (laughs) I mean, are you, huh? Are you the Holy Spirit? Is it possible we were led to go? And if we are, and well, they're different from you, or they they believe this, or they preach that. Yes, maybe they're wrong about some things. Who said you're right about everything? Oh, but for all they knew, the Lord sent me over there to help them. No, but you got to make up your mind. Anybody want to join Phyllis and I in this? Say it out loud, Lord. Lord. I love who you love. I love who you love. And if you accept them, if you, accept them, if you love them, you love them 
That's good enough for me. And by your grace, I will not choose sides one against another among your people. Hallelujah. You don't have to. You know, Paul, this was happening at the church of Corinth. There were splinter groups. One group said, I'm of the Pauline group. One said, we're of Peter's group. You remember that? We're of Apollos. And And he corrected them. The Spirit of God said, what do you mean? All things are yours. You don't have to pick between Paul and Peter. You have Paul and you got Peter and you got Apollos. All of them are yours. You don't have to pick. Somebody say, I don't have to pick. I don't don't have to pick. They're all mine. They're all mine. I don't have to pick. And you don't have to say, well, this this is my favorite preacher here. This is my, you don't have to pick. They're all yours. They're all yours. (laughs) Go with me to Luke 9. You still at Luke 9? Good job. Held your place. Even in the midst of several stories. They did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Why? Because if you're going to go and be with them, then we're not going to receive you here. Who were they shorting? This is Jesus' ministry we're talking about. You can't come here because you're going over there. And it made Jesus' disciples mad. They thought, what? You're going to refuse the master? You're going to tell him, no, he can't come here because he's going to Jerusalem? Verse 54. And there were a couple old boys, James and John, also known, anybody what they knew they had a nickname, around several counties around there. They were Thunder Boys. Is that right? Is that right? Boy Energies. They had a bit of a rep, a bit of a reputation. Don't. Don't start nothing with James and John, because they will bring the thunder down on you. How many understand you don't get a name like that just by sitting at the house crocheting? Right? James and John. And you see it coming out now. They're all, as long as everybody's respecting Jesus and everything's going good, oh yeah, they're cool. But these guys get uppity and get an attitude and go, no, you can't come here. Y'all, if y'all going to be over there with that Jerusalem much, you can't come. Uh, James and John. So, uh, is that right? Is that your final answer? <laughs> you mean uh, us and Jesus cannot come and have a meeting here? You sure that's what you want to say? That's right. James said, John, you, you think what I'm thinking? Yeah. We got scripture for it, brother. You remember? You remember? Thunder. Lightning. Power. Fire. I think it's time, don't you? I think it's time. <laughs> they came to Jesus just sure he would agree with them. They said, Lord. 
You heard what they said. That's just flat disrespectful to the Holy Ghost. Lord, you want us to command some fire to come down out of heaven and consume them. You know, just like Elijah did. Whoosh. You'd be a lesson they would not soon forget. Straighten up some things around here. People learn to show respect when the man of God comes to town. Now, these are people close to Jesus, aren't they? Very, very close. But they are on a wrong track. They are thinking wrong. Maybe their intent, maybe, (laughs) was right. But they're wrong. What did Jesus say to them? He turned around and he rebuked them. Now, how many understand rebuke is a strong word? So he's correcting them in a strong way. He said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. You're here wanting to call fire down on people and destroy them. You don't know what spirit, what spirit was on Jesus. Come on, help me out. Good spirit. What spirit was healing the people in the meetings? What, what spirit was delivering people and, and working miracles Doing signs and wonders. The good spirit. And they thought they knew some scripture. But they didn't understand what happened there. And they misapplied it to their situation then. Do you reckon there's still some religious people. That are misinterpreting. And misapplying. And the biggest thing they're missing is what spirit they're of. The Lord gave me this phrase some years ago in talking about just what we had referred to about not choosing sides. One thing somebody had asked me about, well, I I heard you were over there ministering with them. And uh, yeah, we were. Like I said, your thought is, what about it, you know? But people, just like these Samaritans, had issue with them ministering in Jerusalem. I said to one person one time, I said, well, they said, well, I, we thought you were part of this group. I am. Well, you part of them? How can you be a part of them? I can. I am. Why? They claim me. If they claim me, I guess I am. They claim me too. Great. That means I am. Come on, are y'all with me? And I said to them, I can have more than one friend. I don't mean I don't appreciate this friend because you're my friend too. Why do I have to pick? You You know, I guess for most of my life, I enjoy variety. When when we eat, I I like variety. Miss, Miss Aretha used to laugh at me, Brother Hagin's wife. We'd go out to eat and I'd have four different drinks. I'd have an iced tea, and I'd have a juice, and a milk, and a Coke. She'd say, Keith. I said, it's great, Mom. Variety. (laughs) And uh, the body of Christ is varied. And it's, it's variety. It's diversity. 
is wonderful. I said it's wonderful. If you're not in a beclouded, stupefied state to where you think you and your buddies are it and all there is and you can only have one friend. Anybody want to join me in that? They said out loud, I can have more than one friend in more than one place. You'll find this. People who are really people of God and people of love and real people of faith, the stronger that is in them, they just have friends everywhere. They, they've got people that love them and they love all over the place. It transcends borders, boundaries, cultures, come up, differences. Why? That's how God is. How many really believe that when you get to heaven... They'll meet you and go, no, 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 you're Baptist, right? So don't go left. That's the Pentecostals over there. Go, go, over, go over to the right. As long as you stay over there, you'll be fine, and you'll see your bunch over there down there. Do you think there is a Catholic section of heaven and a Protestant, Methodist, no, there's not. No, there's not. No, there's not. There's one family. One. One. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One Holy Spirit. One body of Christ. One great hope of our calling. One. Somebody say one. 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 And when you know the truth, you don't have to pick. You don't have to choose. You can just claim them all. That makes you rich. I said that makes you rich. Hallelujah. Thank you Lord. Well he said you don't know what spirit you're of. As I was saying. When the Lord ministered to me. You can have more than one friend. More than one place. And uh, you are going to encounter doctrinal differences and cultural differences. You're going to. And uh, there's a couple of things you need to keep in mind. Number one, who said all your ways are right? It's easy to assume because you've grown up in something, you've done it all your life, It's easy to assume all our ways in church and ministry are the Holy Spirit. But then you get outside your little circle and you'll see people do it a different way. And your initial response is, oh, no. No, that's not how we do it. That's not how we do it. So that can't be right. But if you close your eyes, if you really have some spirituality about you, you'll go, hold on, hold on. That is the Holy Spirit. That's him. And that's the word there. And that's the Holy Spirit. You open your eyes and you go, yeah, but that can't be right. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) And you begin to find out a lot of what we think is God is just our ways. That the Holy Spirit is very accommodating. He's very tolerant and accommodating. And just like he's that way with us, he's that way with them. And so you need to discern 
How important are these doctrinal differences? Now, if they're the doctrinal differences, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God or that he was virgin born or raised from the dead. Come on, are you with me? He's not the king of kings. Well, they're not family. We're not in the same family. They hadn't been born again. So no, we can't go with that. But a lot of differences are not that weighty. They're not like that. They're not that significant. And uh, people think they are. They'll fight and fall out over it. But what the Lord showed me is what we're getting to with this. When it comes to somebody that teaches, preaches, a fellow believer, same thing is true. The spirit of that person is more important than their doctrine. Amen. I want to say that again slowly. The spirit of a person, you, me, any of us, the spirit of that person is more important than their doctrine. Now, I've been a Bible teacher for many years. You know I think doctrine's important. And I've had people write me ugly letters about that one statement I just gave you. As you might imagine. But you heard me say it again today, didn't you? Why? None of us are perfect in doctrine. And when he talks about achieving unity in the New Testament, it didn't say that we, until we all come to the unity of perfect doctrine. It's a unity of faith, which is a spirit. We're going to be talking about that this week. It is the unity of the spirit. And the unity of faith. That has to do with a person's spirit. How many know you can be right in your heart. And have mistakes in your head. Well what's the Lord looking at? He's looking at your heart. All the time. And these boys. Are wanting to destroy some folks. And wipe them out. Well is God the destroyer? No. No. And he had to tell them, he had to rebuke them. You don't know what spirit you're of. What spirit are we of, saints? The good spirit. Somebody say good spirit. Good spirit. Go with me, please, to another place here. In Romans 2. Jesus said that... The commandment, the New Testament commandment, is is that we love one another as he has loved us. Now, one another is not talking about loving the world. God so loved the world, that's everybody, he gave Jesus. And we are to love people and care about those he died for and paid the price for, but this command, the New Testament command to believers is to love each other. Love your fellow believer. Like Jesus has loved us. Why? That is the outstanding sign to the outsider that God is real. And that we are his. We belong to him because that's what spirit he is. And that's what spirit we're of if we're born of him. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. We're going to talk about that. God is love. God is good. Love is good. Love will do you good. I think that's what we'll talk about next. But love will do you good. Is God love? Is God good? Has God done us good? He's done us good. There is nothing that reveals God any more than love and good. Didn't the Bible say he is good? He is love. If you're not looking for good, you're not looking for God. You're looking for something else. Well, notice what Romans says, Romans 2.8. 2.4, I should say. 2.4. It says, do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The literal version, Young's literal says, the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering do you despise, not knowing that the goodness of God does lead you to reformation, reform, change. We are born out of goodness in the new birth. We are born into goodness, the family of God, the body of Christ. We are destined to goodness. The Bible said throughout the ages to come. What's going to be going on throughout the ages to come. He's going to reveal to us the riches of his goodness and grace. We're going to be finding more about how good he is forever. Apparently it's never going to plateau. And peek out. And God say. Ten million years from now. That's as good as I get. That's that's it. You now you know. All the good there is. Apparently. And, th- and this. Oh hallelujah. I'm about to talk in tongues right now. Ah. This is why. You keep hearing the phrase. His mercy endures. Forever. If you look up that word, other places talk about his kindness endures forever. Same word. Some of them say his goodness. Same word. His goodness endures forever. What does that mean? It's never going to end. It's never going to cease. You and I are Headed into unending goodness. Goodness that never ends. It'll just be goodness and more goodness and more goodness and more goodness and more goodness throughout the ages to come. Oh, do you believe it? And if people saw and knew the truth, I'm talking about unbelievers. If they saw this and knew this, what would it do? It would draw them. 
if they really saw the goodness of God, it would draw them. Somebody say draw them. It, it would lead them. It would draw them. It would pull them in. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 31, just, just stay where you are. Jeremiah 31 talks about that. He said, uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord has appeared to me of old and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Isn't that what we're talking about? Everlasting. Therefore, with loving kindness, that's the same Hebrew word translated goodness. With loving kindness or goodness, have I drawn you. Goodness. The same word can be translated kindness. Well, when God's kind to you, it is good. Draws people to him. Which is why the enemy of God has fought so continuously to lie about God, to misrepresent God to the masses as hard, as mean. Come on, can you see this? As angry at them because of sin. Because that does the opposite. Condemnation drives away. Just like kindness and goodness draws in. Condemnation drives away. And many. That's all they've seen. That's all they've heard relative to God. And so they went away and they stayed away because they're condemned. And who wants to be reminded of how inferior you are and what a failure you are? If you don't know the answer to that, your solution is get away. Get away from it so you don't have to look at it, so you don't have to be confronted by it. You remember Peter, the time that Jesus told, used their boat to speak out of and then told them to, to go cast their net for a catch of fish. And then they got such a huge uh, catch. It was breaking nets and, and sinking the boats. And what did Peter say? What did Peter say? Depart from me. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What, what's going on here? This should be one of the best days of your life. Is that right? You've just heard, no doubt, uh, one of the greatest messages you've ever heard in your life. You've seen one of the greatest miracles you've ever seen in your life. And you're saying, I want to get away from this. I want you to get away from me. Doesn't make sense. Why? Because condemnation causes you to want to go away. Get away. Hide. Cover up. Condemnation is a killer. And what many have heard through churches, through preaching, through preachers, is condemnation. Condemnation against your sin. Condemnation against your lifestyle. Condemnation against this and against that. You know, don't argue with people about their sinful lifestyle. I don't care how wrong it is, how glaringly bad it is. Unless and until they want to know the Lord and they want to be right with him, they don't care what you think. And by you just railing about how bad this is and about how wrong this is, that will not draw them in. That will drive them out. 
It's true. This includes your kin folks. Don't preach at them. Don't preach against what they do and how they live. That's not the biggest problem. Well, it's a problem. It may be a problem, but it's not their biggest problem. A person's biggest problem is not knowing the Lord and not being right with him. And until you get that right, you're not going to fix that other stuff. And they're not going to care. They have to get to the place where they care what he thinks, what he wants, what he says is right. And so no need to focus on that. What's going to draw them to him? What's going to draw them to him? Seeing his goodness. And what better place to see his goodness than in you, in your life, on you, through you. And when people see his goodness, even though they might not want to acknowledge it, they might scoff and act intellectual about it. Still, they can't get away from it. Because it's real. And when it keeps going on year after year. And God just keeps doing good things in your life. And keeps doing good things in your life. They'll lay awake at night and think about it. Thinking how can that all be a coincidence. And and the spirit of God will say it's not a coincidence. And you go oh I don't know. I don't know. The the Lord will deal with them in the nighttime about it. They cannot get away from it. And you know what the goodness of God is doing to them. It is Like a tractor beam on Star Trek. It's it's pulling them. Come on, can you see this? They may not be able to see it, but it is laying hold of them. Is that right? It's drawing them, drawing them to the light. Drawing them to the love. Drawing them to the good. But that condemnation will drive them away. The Bible said that God's goodness is his witness. Acts 14, 17 talks about this. Other places, it's his witness. Remember when Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. You remember that? And so what did the Lord say? He said, I'm going to show you my goodness. Did the Lord show him his glory? Yeah. By doing what? Showing him his goodness. His goodness is a manifestation of his glory. It is a witness of his reality. Somebody say, I believe it. You remember the account when they they caught the woman? They said, taken in the act of adultery. And they dragged her out in in public there in front of the crowd, in front of Jesus. And... uh, They said, you know, the law commands to stone her and kill her. What do you say? He stooped down on the ground, wrote as though he heard them not. Finally got up and said, he that's without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. One by one being convicted by their own conscience, they left. I'm sure some of them were looking at each other. Don't you dare pick up a rock. I know you. I know you. (laughs) You rascal. Don't you. You put that rock back down. (laughs) And if anybody there would have been righteous enough and perfect enough to throw the stone, it was the master. Is that right? Because he truly was completely righteous and sinless. And yet, what did he tell her? Anybody remember? John 8 and 10. 
He lifted himself up and he saw none but the woman. They're all gone. And the woman standing there. He said, woman, where are those your accusers? Has no man condemned you? Condemned. What does condemnation make you want to do? It makes you want to get away. Makes you want to hide. It pulls on my heart sometimes because I know there's a lot of people need to be in this room today. They desperately need to hear this. Desperately need to come to know the Lord. But you know a lot of them won't come in because they feel like they're not good enough. That their life is such a mess. Exactly. That's why you need a Savior. But they don't see that. And some folks, all they've done is condemn and condemn. And and, and you get tired of that. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to look at it. So you stay away. But what would change all that? Instead of condemnation, what would change that? Condemnation drives away. Oh, hallelujah. But compassion and kindness and the goodness of the Lord will draw you. Hallelujah, like the moth to the flame. It'll draw you like a magnetic pull. Like gravity. It'll draw you to the source of goodness. To love himself. And it is true. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, has nobody condemned you, woman? She said, no. Think about her. Put yourself in her shoes. She's sure just moments ago she's about to die. Die in such shame. I mean, how much more public can you get than this? Probably not properly clothed. They said they dragged her right out of bed. Right here in front of, in church, no doubt. In the meeting. About to die like this. You might not want to die. You sure don't want to die like this. But now, all the accusers are gone. All the condemnation is gone. Jesus said, where are they? He said, nobody. What did he say? Come on, tell me what Jesus said. What Jesus said? What Jesus say? The one who's fully qualified to judge her. Is that right? What did he say? Me neither. I don't condemn you either. Now see, some people make a mistake in their dealing with this. The world will tell you, how do you get rid of guilt? Guilt and shame are real. And they're a giant problem. How do you get rid of it? Well, people go to worldly therapists and they'll tell them, people that don't know God, they'll say, well, your problem is your parents. And that goofy church you went to. (laughs) There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as good and evil. You just need to get rid of all these archaic notions and you'll be okay. Only problem is after thousands of dollars worth of therapy. (laughs) And all of your mantras and burning incense and chanting and everything else you want to do. You can play if you want to. But the shame is still there. The guilt is still You can cover it. You can hide it. You can put on a face. But it didn't fix it. And Jesus didn't tell her. 
Her sin was nothing. He didn't tell her she didn't sin. It was just all in her mind. She did sin. And what did he say? Don't do it again. It is sin. And sin is a big thing. It's what put Jesus on the cross. Mind in your sin. Oh, but because of what he has done. He is not condemning us for it. He's not against us. He's not drawing attention to our sin. He's not calling for judgment against our sin because it's been laid on him. Hallelujah. And he paid the price for it. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And that's why there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And when you see that, it won't make you run away. It'll make you come to him. It'll it'll pull you. It'll draw you to him. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Go to Romans 8. That's what I'm quoting from right now anyway. Go to Romans 8. Don't you like what Jesus said? Neither do I condemn you. Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Then what's he saying to you? No matter what you've done. Oh, somebody needs to be awake right now. No matter what you have done, if you could look Jesus personally in the eye right now and see him face to face, no matter what you've done, what would he say about what you've done? Is he a respecter of persons? Has he changed? Then he'd say the same thing to you. What would he say? He said, I don't condemn you. Man, that's music to your ears. I'm not condemning you. I don't condemn you. Just come to me. Quit doing it. Come to me. I got something better for you. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Romans 8 says it like this in verse 30, 32. Romans 8, 32. If he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he would, if he's ever going to withhold anything from you, it would have been Jesus. Yeah, people look at him and say, well, Lord, I don't know, would he heal me? He gave you Jesus. Huh? What's a healing? In fact, the healing's in Jesus. Well, I don't know if the Lord will help me pay my electric bill or not. Electric bill? What's an electric bill to Jesus? He gave you Jesus. And if he wouldn't withhold him from you, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Now look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And this, the, the language on the King James here is a little bit uh, challenging. You, we'd probably say it like this today. Not God. Because it's God that justifies. It is, is in italics. That's not there in the original. Who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Are you God's elect? Are you believers? You're his elect. Who's going to charge you with wrong? Who's going to bring charges against you? The devil's the accuser of the brethren, but who's he to you? He's not your Lord. Is that right? And God is not the one bringing charges against you. He's the one that justified you. 
Come on, somebody say, God's not bringing charges against me. He's the one that justified me. Read the next verse. Who's he that condemns? Who's going to condemn you? Well, there are some people that will condemn you. But what you should care most about is the master. Right? Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died. And not only that, he's risen again and he's at the right hand of God making intercession for who? If the Lord had wanted us condemned, all he'd had to do is nothing. Leave us where we were in our sin and judgment would have come on us full bore. Jesus didn't come and take the charges and take the sin and take the judgment so he could turn around and judge us. He took it on himself so we wouldn't be judged. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus is not condemning me. God's not charging anything against me. Hallelujah. When he looks at a true believer, he sees not all of their sins. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ that they've been made. He sees the washing of the blood of the Lamb. Come on. Hallelujah. If everybody, every lost person in the world saw that, they wouldn't run away and hide. They'd run, hallelujah, to the crimson flood. They would come, hallelujah, to the blood that washes away each stain. Glory to God. We must not be a church of condemners, of fault finders. Of criticizers. Of accusers. That drives people away. Including your own kids. Including your own grandkids. Come on are you with me? If you don't see them for months. And then when you do. All you do is rail on them. About what they're doing wrong. And what's bad. And what's this and what that. What's going to make them want to do? Get away from you. And it be even longer. Before they see you again. Maybe what they're doing is wrong, but that's not the big thing. The big thing is do they know him and how's their relationship with him? Once that's right, it's going to affect these other things. What the Lord desires. Hallelujah. Uh, you, You need to hear the verse. Put it up. Matthew chapter five, I believe it is. Matthew 5 and 14. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Matthew 5, 14. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Is God light? Yes. How then, how come we're, we're the light? Because the light's in us. What else is God? God is good. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that it gives light, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Verse 16. Verse 16. 
Let. People want to say let your little light. I quit saying little light. I want my light to be big. I want my light to be bright. Let your light. So shine. Before men. That they may see what? See what? See what? See the good. See the workings of good to us, in us, around us, through us. Hallelujah. The Lord blessed us. We've been working for months around here. We had a project in the church, you know, to finish out the lobby, the chapel, the kitchen, and all, all those things. And it's done. It's just set for some details. Glory to God. And it's nice. Also, the house where Phyllis and I uh, live down here, the Lord helped us to fix up some guest quarters for some people that are, and now we've got, uh, how many people, Phyllis, a dozen people or so with, with more coming in, in a nice, comfortable place. We've been able to put them in different places and different structures, and real, we had a big uh, grill out yesterday. It was wonderful. Just wow. nice, and they had such good fellowship. And the Lord was dealing with me. I would just, uh, I put scriptures on some of our place things. And, uh, and the Lord's dealing with me. You know, when people redecorate, when they build, most of the time it's for their glory. They'll build, they'll decorate, they'll buy. And then what they want, they invite their friends or family and show them what they did. How, how good their taste is, what all they did. I don't want that. Did I lose somebody? I want the Lord to get glory. Come on, are y'all with me? And he is. I I can sense it in my spirit. How many understand this nice place the Lord's given us right here? It's all paid for. This is the goodness of the Lord. I said it is the goodness of the Lord. You need to bring your friends and say, let me, let me show you my big screens I have. Let me show you my big, let me show you my padded seats. If this is your church, this is your church. Is that right? It's not just Phyllis and mine. Bring them and say, come, let me show you what the Lord's done for us. How good he's been for us. Why? That goodness draws people in. Hallelujah. And people can see in our, Phyllis in our lives, the goodness of the Lord and it's drawing. When the Lord heals you, he heals your babies. That's the goodness of the Lord. When people see it, it's drawing them in. When he pays you bills, he helps you pay off stuff. He helps you come into a better place and a nicer place. Don't just do it for your glory. Don't tell everybody how smart you were and how hard you worked and how good your taste is. Let them see the goodness of the Lord in your life. It will draw them to him. It will draw them to him. Glory to God. Not you bragging. Not you boasting. Except boasting in him. Telling what he's done. Telling how good he is. Oh the Lord wants to take us to a whole nother level of this saints. Doesn't he? People are hungry to see it. People that you work beside. People that you go to school with. People that you live across the fence from. Are in the same apartment building. They're watching you. They're noticing. They're seeing things. Right? And when the goodness of God just keeps coming on you. It just keeps coming on you. It just keeps coming on you. Things just keep happening for you. They just keep happening for you. And they come up and say. You are the luckiest guy I ever saw. And you just smile and go. It ain't luck. It ain't luck. Well you must be smart and hard work. Don't you dare take credit for the blessing of the Lord. 
It's time right now to tell them about the good one, the source of good, the only good, the all good, the all the time everywhere. Good God who does good things for everyone that will let him. Praise God. Stand on your feet, everybody. Oh, the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Lift up your hands. Close your eyes. By faith, draw near to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Said out loud, Father God, I do believe you are completely good and that you fill my life with your goodness and I will let the light shine that men may see your goodness in my life I say Lord get glory to yourself in us through us by us when people see us let them see you, your goodness, what you have done, what you are doing, and that you'll do it for them too. In Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.